Critter and Crumb brings you a delightful collection of earrings featuring adorable animal pendants and tiny food charms. Whether you're an animal lover, a foodie, or simply someone who appreciates the beauty of whimsical jewelry, Critter and Crumb has something special for you. These earrings also make great gifts and stocking stuffers for friends, family members, even your children's teachers. And the best part? By supporting Critter and Crumb, you're not just getting a fabulous accessory, you're also supporting a small business that puts love into every creation. Head over to Critter and Crumb's Etsy shop today at critterandcrumb.etsy.com to explore their stunning selection of earrings. That's critterandcrumb.etsy.com critterandcrumb.etsy.com Before we begin this episode, I'd like to give a shout out to my most loyal followers on social media. High Priority, Clark Moore, Viv, Chrissy, and Jackie P. You know who you are. Thank you for your consistent support on those platforms. It means a lot to me. Now, I don't know if you've heard of Good Pods, it's the podcast with Goodreads is to books. It's one of the industry authorities. I mentioned that because on Good Pods this week, listeners like you are the reason why my podcast is number three in the personal journals category among independent podcasts and number two in the social sciences category. And that's not just number two among indie podcasts, but second among all types of podcasts in the social sciences group. I appreciate everyone's support. This is my 20th episode, and we seem to be on a roll. Please keep it up. And also, share the podcast with a friend. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'm your host, Melvin E. Edwards, and I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Real Life and Other Fantasies. You are listening to Real Life and Other Fantasies, a podcast by engaging storytellers for engaged story listeners. Here's your host, author and journalist, Melvin E. Edwards. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Real Life and Other Fantasies. I'm your host, Melvin E. Edwards, and our topic this week may seem out of season. But once I explain it to you, you'll understand why we're going to discuss Juneteenth in November. I'm pleased this week to be joined by award-winning documentarian, Mary Beth Menace. Mary Beth, thank you for being our guest for this week's Storytelling Journey. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Juneteenth is obviously a holiday that we celebrate in June, but elements of Mary Beth's film, Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom, provide reasons why we can celebrate it during this time of the year. Juneteenth was an answered prayer for enslaved Texans and provided a new birth of freedom, as President Lincoln indicated. What better time to celebrate birth, freedom, and clean slates than at Christmas time? This topic is personal for me because my ancestors were enslaved Texans on June 19, 1865, when they finally received word that the Emancipation Proclamation had set them free. Of course, that executive order was signed two and a half years earlier, but better late than never. Mary Beth's passion is sharing inspirational stories of resilience and hope. She has taken that passion and collaborated on a wide range of topics, 
from sports professionals to refugees, female entrepreneurs to freedom fighters. Like I mentioned, her latest project is called Juneteenth Faith and Freedom, and it features 2022 Nobel Peace Prize nominee Opal Lee. The documentary aired on PBS and received the 2023 Wilbur Award. Mary Beth also executive produced the film's accompanying soundtrack, featuring two-time Grammy Award-winning hip-hop artist Lecrae. I'll just begin my questions with one that you've probably been asked the most, I'm guessing. How did a white woman from Oklahoma become interested enough in the original Juneteenth that you decided to do a documentary on it? (laughs) Well, if people could see me right now, they would see a big smile on my face because that's a great question. Who am I to tell this story? Who am I? Um, I'll tell you, the way I learned about Juneteenth, I didn't celebrate it growing up. My family didn't celebrate it. But when I moved to Texas, I moved to Lubbock, Texas in the year 2000, and I became friends with a man named Mike Springer, and he celebrated Juneteenth. And he introduced me to the holiday. And that's sort of when it began. And then I believe it was three years ago, my friend Rasul Berry, who is a producer on the documentary Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom. He's also the host, the one featured in the film who you go on the journey with to learn from the direct descendants of those who were freed on Juneteenth. And he's really the visionary behind the project. We'd known each other for about 10 years, and he felt a burden to tell this story. He saw the opportunity in our country for this federal holiday to either be something that would further be used to divide us or something that could bring us together. And he wanted to capitalize that and capture the history of Juneteenth. And he decided to do that in the form of a documentary. And we've been friends for over a decade. He came to me, said, you know, I'm, I want to do this. Will you help me? And I prayed about it. I'm a person of faith. And and I just felt like I was supposed to do that. I was supposed to come alongside him and do whatever I could do to help him to tell this story. And it's been an absolute privilege. I've learned so much. I've been celebrating Juneteenth for the last I would say five to seven years in a more active way. So my friend um, Kimberly Iglesias in Buda, I've been joining her for the celebration she's been organizing. So it's been something that I've been a part of at a distance. And now I've, I'm much more, I feel like, intimately involved in the holiday, um, being having the privilege of getting to know Miss Opal Lee, for example, the grandmother of Juneteenth. Well, that leads me directly into my next question. How did you manage to get a Nobel Prize winning, a Nobel Prize nominee and a two-time Grammy winner involved in this project? Okay, well, speaking of prayer, um, (laughs) that's something that my friend Rasul and I believe in deeply. And we like to dream big and to pray. And so as he was doing research on who we need to interview, uh, Miss Opal Lee's name came up again and again and again. And then we discovered that she was represented by CAA. And we went through the proper channels and somehow got through to her granddaughter, Dion Sims, who now I call a really good friend. 
and and we found favor in their eyes. And Miss um, Oboli was familiar with Our Daily Bread Ministries, which is who is behind the film, who really brought it into being. And so she said yes. And so I drove up to Fort Worth and joined the rest of the crew for the interview with her. And I mean, I would say my life has never been the same since meeting this woman. She is such an inspiration. At every turn, she takes the opportunity to say, if you can be taught to hate, you can be taught to love. And this is a woman who suffered greatly. I believe she was about 12 years old when a mob showed up showed up at the home her family had recently moved into in Fort Worth. And it was on Juneteenth and they didn't want them living in that neighborhood because they were black and they had to leave under the cover of darkness and their house was destroyed and it shaped her and her Christian faith shaped her and she chose a path of love and justice and forgiveness And I have to say, I was recently just overwhelmed on her 97th birthday, Habitat for Humanity broke ground on the very same land where her family was driven away so that Opal Lee could come home. That's amazing. And it was so moving to see that moment of of an injustice, not that it is fully just, but it is an attempt. And there's this beauty of the way that she moves in the world to unite people and to say, you know, we can, we can, these things can happen in our lives and we can choose to form, you know, a a hatred and allow that to fester, or we can choose to the path of love. And, and that's what she's done. And so that's that's the path I'm trying to take with my life. So meeting her and getting to know her and calling her friend has been such an honor. That, that's, that's so touching and amazing. And the fact that she's alive shows how current and how recent these events were. Um, yes. Having the recent anniversary of Ruby Bridges, who as a five-year-old, became the first black child to in the South to go to a, a, a predominantly white school and all white school until she went there. Seeing how young she is, it, it really blew my mind when I somebody mentioned to me that she's younger now than Cindy Lauper, the entertainer. That really sort of gives you an idea that this really wasn't that long ago. Wow. And unfortunately, it's we're an still... Mm-hmm. That it really does, and, and we're still sometimes having to build bridges and tear down walls just to have a conversation. And I hope people who watch your documentary are having those conversations. And first of all, I hope they watch it and then have conversations, sit down with their family and watch it. But we'll come back to more to that a little bit later. Um, I, my follow-up question is regarding uh, Opal Lee and Lecrae being involved in this project. Were you ever nervous about how people might perceive you when you approached them about being a part of this? Yes, absolutely. I would say I was nervous for two different audiences. One, I was 
really nervous and I still feel nervous interacting with African-Americans who are descendants of enslaved people because I feel, you know, this is your story. This is their story. And, and I, I want to be as authentic and, and faithful to, to helping the people whose story it is tell their own story. But it's, it, I feel inadequate at times. I feel, you know, unsure, unsure of how I'm going to be perceived either. Um, I, I don't want to come across like, um, I don't know, <laughs> in any way other than a humble person who's just trying to help um, people tell their story. So there's that, that part that I feel nervous about. And then secondly, I wasn't sure how people would respond who are not direct descendants of those who were enslaved. Um, how would they perceive that I'm involved in this project? Would they immediately see images on social media or, or short clips or whatever and have a, a misunderstanding of the heart behind the project? And I think so many things these days are, are politicized and people come at the world from a perspective and then those perspectives can get sort of inflamed and polarizing of people and they don't have the time or the energy or they don't make the time or the energy to educate themselves or to listen and and to pause and so i hate being misunderstood and so i just you know there's people out there that are going to misunderstand perhaps and that that makes me nervous but usually the people who who misunderstand i find are the people who haven't actually watched the film. If they watch the film, it's clear that it is not intended to be divisive in any way. And we'll, we'll come back to that. I, I don't want to keep trying to tease people, but, there, but there, there's a question that I, I want to ask that's specific to that tone. Of, of your answer. So we'll come, we'll come back around to that. Okay. Not to be a tease here, but. <laughs> a couple of times I've said this project is Mary Beth's film. I want to emphasize for clarity that she produced the film. She didn't direct it. So what did, what did you hope to accomplish with the film? Yeah, you know, um, well, really I felt like my role was to come alongside my friend Rasul and help him do his job. But in addition to that, I would say I wanted to help tell a hopeful story, an honest story that would educate our country and the world and inspire people to acknowledge what what has really happened and to choose to come together and to celebrate freedom from the 19th of July, I mean, 19th of June, all the way to the 4th of July. You know, one of the things that you talked about in your video was that freedom for everyone in the United States of America came on June 19th or everyone in Texas. You know, I know there were later times that in different states that slavery was unfolding as far as mm -hmm. it, people truly being free. 
But if, if we're kind of choosing this marker of June 19th, 1865, that's when the people were free. Ms. Opal Lee says, you know, our land was free July 4th, but our people, all the people were free on June 19th. And I wanted to help shape that and help our country come together. And yeah, so. Do you feel like you accomplished that goal or are accomplishing? I guess it's an active. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's probably a lifelong pursuit. So I don't think we're there yet, but I think we're making progress. I'm one of the things that was the most moving to me was at one of our screenings. It was organized by an African-American woman and it was predominantly, um, white people, Caucasian people in the audience who were in her church community. And afterwards, there was a time of confession and repentance and tears. And people, you know, they they had not understood and really taken the time to pay attention to this part of history and how it affects people. And it, it, it transformed those people's relationship and it transformed that community. And that was a former sundown community, meaning at sundown, if you were black, you were not safe. And so to, to see that happening gives me hope that these, as these screenings take place, as people watch it on PBS or on YouTube, or if we get the opportunity to have it in, in broader places that people's hearts and minds will be um, moved to, to listen and to embrace and to confess and to repent and to choose to acknowledge and to choose to celebrate. Yeah, one of the frustrating things to me as a, someone who studies history is this, well, I'll just be direct, the stubbornness of some people who refuse to acknowledge that events of the past have a direct impact on current events. And in fact, all events happened in the past, even if it was one second ago, everything happened in the past. And we just don't acknowledge other people's past as having an impact on their future and on their, on their current situation. And another timeline perspective, I mentioned Cindy Lauper earlier, um, people understand the Irish potato famine, whether they're Irish or not. That happened longer ago than the end of slavery. So slavery is more recent than the Irish potato famine. But people of all races understand what happened there and how that impacted that nation and how generations later are still impacted because of what happened events at that point. And and I just wish people connected history to daily events because it's impossible to disconnect the two. So my, 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 my next question is sort of a process question about being a documentarian. Well, what is the hardest part of producing a documentary? Is it the organizational part at the beginning or the editing stuff at the end of it? Okay, so I'm going to answer your question. <laughs> it's not simple. It's, it's all difficult. It's all really difficult. It's hard to say which part is more difficult. 
you're constantly dealing with not enough time and not enough money and too many problems and too many issues. That's what you're dealing with constantly. And, um, but what I have found to be the, actually the most difficult part of the entire process is the distribution part. Hmm. And that is getting people to watch the film and to pay attention to it. And, you know, in this day and age, I feel like attention is a type of currency. And so if you can get somebody's attention, you know, you can impact their heart and their mind, you can influence them. And it's it's hard to get people's attention. And so that's why I'm really grateful to be having this, you know, conversation with you today and that you're sharing about a little bit about me and about this film with your audience, because it means more people will have the opportunity to, to see it. So my, my short answer is neither of those. They're both hard and distribution is the hardest part. Okay. All right. Now coming back around to the question that I sort of teased earlier, because I, I generally like to my, my podcast and, and situation to be positive. And, and I understand this question has some negative undertones, but I think it's an important question to ask. So I've heard some well-known people trash Juneteenth. I won't mention their names. You probably know who they are as a racially divisive opposition holiday to June, July 4th. Have you personally gotten any of that kind of feedback? I'm aware that people are saying that I'm not as familiar as you are with who those people are and what they're saying but I'm aware that they're saying it. I don't know why people don't say it to me, but they don't say it to me. They don't give me that feedback. Hmm. The only time I would get that feedback is if I were in a, like at a party or in a public setting and somebody doesn't know that I'm associated with Juneteenth faith and freedom. And they're just sharing their thoughts. Um, but as a general rule, if they they know anything about me, they're not bringing it up to me. So have you gotten that feedback personally to you? No, not directly, but I've seen it. And actually, one of my jobs, and, and this is, I use the word job with air quotes. One of the things that I do in life is teach people as I'm learning, because there's so much stuff that I still have to learn, even about my own history. I've written two books about my family's history, and it's taken me over 30 years of research to, to write those two books, Wow! because I'm, I'm learning along the way. But one of the things that I've been really conscious about is teaching about Juneteenth. And I've had this for the last three years, what I call a Juneteenth family picnic, family cookout kind of thing on, on Twitter, or X as it's now called where I invite people to, obviously this is all imaginary, we're not actually gathering, but I invite people to bring their favorite family dish, whether it's traditional or something they currently enjoy with their family. Bring that, tell us, like maybe even give us the recipe for it. And then we, we, we have a discussion about this and other topics that people are nervous to talk about. And the first year I did it, it was probably one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. I wow. was so encouraged. People came mm. with open and honest questions and we had a great dialogue. And I was just really uplifted. I was encouraged that 
maybe we're making progress. Maybe we're in a new time of history. And this was during COVID, so that, that may have had something to do with it. So 2020 was a unique year in American history and world history. Mm-hmm. And it was an opportunity. And and so I've done this every year for the last three years of Juneteenth. And it, it's been encouraging each time, but the first year I was blown away. So uh, the opportunity is there. People, There are people who want to talk. They just don't I think know so too. how. They don't know how, and they need an invitation. They need an invitation. And, you know, I love how, what a creative way you did that. And you made it like a family, yes. like a, let's, let's share and come to the table and, and talk, you know, and I think there's such beauty in that. There's such um, vulnerability and power and openness that can happen. And, you know, one of the things about the actual film, Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom, that, you know, I've gotten feedback on and I have found to be true myself is you are going on a journey with the host, Russell Berry. He's going and he's interviewing people and you're learning alongside him. And there's something about that that gives the viewer permission to not feel guilty about what they don't know. Mm -hmm because they're learning alongside him and, and he's an, a black man, you know, and, and is still learning more as he's going. And I think that I love that we made that choice. You know, the director is Yaki Smith. He's an incredible director. And that decision was a really brilliant one because instead of watching history being taught to you, you're actually going along with a person learning alongside them. And I, I think it's a really powerful way to help people to feel invited to learn. It's, it's a disarming gesture. So people don't feel like they have to be defensive or they're being talked to. They're right. having a conversation with someone and that's, that's how it feels. So I, I really appreciate that aspect of the documentary as well. So if you, this is a very personal question. How would you feel if you won an, an, an Emmy award for this project? Oh, I would be so happy. <laughs> so happy. Have you thought I, about it? Absolutely. I've thought about it. I've learned stepping into this um, documentary space in the film industry that these awards for different things, whether it's an Oscar or an Emmy, the pursuit of those allows more people to be exposed to the film and to hear, learn about the film and to watch the film and be impacted by it. It also feels great to have that, what seems like objective validation. It never is, but it feels like, okay, you know, people acknowledge this. So, but more than anything, I think I would love to see the film, you know, be even that we would be able to submit it, that we would be nominated. And if we were to win, just how much joy that would bring um, to our team. Uh, I, you know, our director, Yaki Smith, has worked in the industry for a long time. He doesn't happen to have an Emmy. I'd love to be able to help him get an Emmy um, so that he can keep telling more stories and so that more people will will know about the film and we'll be able to like what you're doing understand our history and come together 
it's it's again it's an important film i hope everybody gets a chance to watch it. it's a it's on youtube it doesn't cost you anything you don't have an excuse all it's going to cost is time but the, what you gain from it will it'll be a, a great return on investment so again just to remind you the film is called juneteenth faith and freedom and it's available on youtube so um let's talk about some of the other documentaries you've done um, you've done sure. a, a wide range you you've done a documentary on rwanda and then you've done a documentary on the inventor of the basketball jump shot. That's a pretty wide range. So how do you choose your projects? Is it is it from a personal interest? You know, I feel like they choose me more than I choose them. It's a combination of a few things. One, I would say there are stories usually about um, people. And so like when you mentioned Rwanda, I've worked on two films about people who are Rwandan and their stories. So they're more about these people's lives, but they just happen to live in Rwanda and they've had that those experiences. So I'm more drawn to stories of, of people and stories of hope, stories of resilience and overcoming obstacles. I'm drawn to stories where you see you know, humility on display in in the most beautiful way. So when I saw a rough cut of what would eventually become Jump Shot, the Kenny Sailors, which is directed by Jacob Hamilton, it I was so moved by the man Kenny Sailors because Mm. I thought this is what a man is supposed to be like. He he didn't pursue fame and, and fortune. He he pursued taking care of his family. He pursued fighting for our country. He certainly pursued excellence at the, the game of basketball and he, and he made incredible leaps and bounds. He pursued getting the, helping women in Alaska have the opportunity to play basketball because women weren't, weren't, there weren't programs designed for women to be able to play basketball. Oh. So at every turn he was using his own, you know, power and influence to help um, those who didn't who didn't have it, and that's just really inspiring to me. And also, he transformed the game of basketball, and he did so by developing the jump shot, and that came out of him being shorter than his brother, and he had to figure out a way to beat his brother. I mean, it's great. Sibling so, rivalry changes the world. Yes, sibling rivalry. It's so great, and um, and you know through. Through telling Kenny Saylor's story, um, I had the opportunity to meet some basketball greats, including Dirk Nowitzki and Kevin Durant and Steph or Stephen Curry. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. What was that like? Oh, marvelous. (laughs) Absolutely marvelous. All three of them are just outstanding people. And it was such a privilege to get to meet them. Dirk is was so funny. He he struck me as just so funny and and also humble. And um, Kevin Durant really stole my heart. And I just you know we shared a moment because I I shared with him that my favorite part was when Kenny is helping women, and he said it was his favorite part too when he watched the rough cut and um just blown away by that experience. And then Steph Curry, just meeting him. I mean, he's just an extraordinary person. So as a filmmaker, do you personally think 
in images and videos all the time? Or for instance, like you're sitting around the table with your family or friends this holiday season. Are you framing the scene and arranging the seats in your mind? Yes. Uh, well, things will happen. <laughs> like I will see a situation and I'll think, ooh, this would be great for you know, a short, or this is really comical. I need to save this. Like if I ever want to work on a film and include this piece or absolutely. So, you know, what's funny is I've been documenting things all of my life. I didn't realize that's what I was doing until now I'm in my forties, you know, and you sort of look back and you, you realize. So I, I was making scrapbooks I was holding on to all kinds of things over the years, photographs and memorabilia and documenting things. And, uh, you know, I was making home movies back when, you know, it was the giant, like, on your shoulder. My dad had one, you know, this was like in the 80s and 90s. So it's sort of been in me from the beginning, I think. And so it continues to to be there no matter where I am. <laughs> so do your family and friends ever get tired of you arranging their seating and setting up scenarios? I'm sure they do. <laughs> do they say anything? Absolutely, especially my sisters. I'm sure they do. Have you been doing that since you were little kids? <laughs> like, like, like a little, I've, 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 I have three daughters. And so I remember them setting up their dolls or stuffed animals and certain scenarios and it's like a school classroom or something. Is that what you did with your sisters? You know, yes, I think it was more, I wanted to work with humans. So I was setting up, you know, my sister and her friends and my cousin, Matt, and I was orchestrating what they needed to do. Like we were mimic, like the news, like we would do a newscast and then, we needed a commercial. So my, my cousin was, you know, so young, but we got him to say, I love the lamp. And, and he didn't understand. He was so young. And he said, I love the lamp like 10 times or something. It was just hilarious. But that's more what I was doing is I was, I wasn't using the, the stuffed animals. I was using the younger children in my family, you know, and directing them. That's funny. Do they remember that? I I'm, I make sure they remember it because I bring out those old videos. I'm like, remember? And <laughs> yeah, don't make me do this again. I will do it. Thanksgiving and Christmas too. That's pretty funny. Yeah, right, so I mean, how- one Thanksgiving, one Thanksgiving. This was um, maybe 15, 20 years ago. I came home and I interviewed both of my grandmothers. This is long before I ever thought I was going to do documentaries, but I thought I, my grandchildren won't know my, my, you know, grandparents at this point, I'm not sure I'm going to have grandchildren, but at that point I still thought I might, and I wanted to capture that. And so I interviewed them at Thanksgiving. So, yeah, I wrangled my sister and my dad and everybody to, to make sure we got those interviews. So I'm sort of the family historian, I think. <laughs> Every family has one. I, I learned that during my own personal research. And some are more accurate than others. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> 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 so how closely aligned are your hobbies with your regular work? Say that again. 
how closely aligned are your hobbies with your regular work? Do like, for instance, I, I'm a writer professionally, but my hobbies are also writing. So are your hobbies like taking pictures, making videos? What, what do you do as a hobby? I would say my hobbies are more, well, I would say I used to like to watch movies and documentaries, but now because that's what I do, sometimes I can't take a mental break. You know, if I watch that, I can watch comedies and, and sort of, you know, be removed, but, um, more of my hobbies are, um, athletic or artistic endeavors. So, um, tennis, pickleball, basketball, I've just started running. And then I love, um, artistic things. So, uh, fashion, makeup, things like that. <laughs> okay. That probably comes into, into play when you're, it when certainly you're does. new documentaries. Yes. So what I mean, types of projects do I, you- I grew up oh, playing sorry. basketball. I think I played really hard so that I could, you know, bond with my dad and my, my older cousins and, and I, I loved the game and, and I think that's part of the reason I wanted to tell, you know, jump shot the Kenny Saylor story because Kenny Saylor's taught women how to play basketball and coach Max Pope taught me how to play basketball and my dad taught me how to play basketball. So there's definitely in my own personal history, a connection to the choices I'm making in the, the films that I'm, you know, putting my time and energy and effort into. That's, that's awesome. So what types of projects do you have planned for the near future? Yeah, well, where you're still, like I said, distribution is the hardest part of all of this. And so even though the film is out there and available, people don't know about it. And so we're working hard to get it out there. We're doing a college campus tour. We have it on the PBS learning app. So if people, if somebody listening to this is a teacher, they can access it for free and use um, curated content to help educate their students. We're also, um, you know, Lord willing, going to submit for an Emmy and trying to figure out even how you do that. I'm also in the midst of working on a vinyl record for the soundtrack. So I've never done this before. This is my first foray into this, but I'm figuring out how you get a vinyl made. And I think we're going to use that to help uh, promote the album and the film this coming Juneteenth season. So uh, if you like listening to records, you know, follow us and, and keep up with us because you'll, you'll get access to how you could get this record. It's a fantastic okay. soundtrack. It's just amazing. So it has the, the songs that are in the film are on the album and then a, a, several other additional ones. So okay. and then any idea when it will be available? Spring 2024. <laughs> We're working on the deadline, but spring 2024. And the other thing I wanted to mention is there's another documentary that I think you will, you and, and your audience will really like, and it's called Refuge. And it's a, a feature length documentary, and it's a friendship between a man who comes to the United States as a refugee from Syria who is a Muslim and he comes right after 9-11 and he expects to be rejected by Americans. And instead he's embraced 
by a group of Episcopalian Christians is, is one example of people who embraced him. And he ends up becoming a cardiologist. He's just an an incredible person, Dr. Haval Kelly. And in the film, you get to see him uh, become friends with a man named Chris Buckley. And Chris Buckley was born and raised in the United States and served in the armed forces in the U.S. Army in Iraq and Afghanistan. And when he returned, he um, had a, a back injury and ended up addicted to several different drugs and was recruited into the Ku Klux Klan and was rising in leadership. And his wife, Melissa, who's, who's such, he's, she's also a personal hero of mine, stood up to her husband and said, it's either our family or the Klan. And he chose his family. And in, in the film Refuge, you get to see in real time, uh, Dr. Haval Kelly and Chris Buckley become friends and how it changes both of them. And it's, it's just so, so hope giving in, in our culture right now in the United States to see somebody who at one point hated and was actively, um, you know, mobilizing more people to hate different groups of people go from a a total transformation and to see how that impacts him is just incredible. So I highly recommend that film and we're, we're trying to get it shortlisted for an Oscar right now. So that's another focus of, of ours right now is trying to get people to watch it who can make help make that decision so that it garners more attention and more people hear about it and watch it. Well, I don't have much influence, but whatever <laughs> shout outs I can give that might be heard someplace, yeah, I can do well, something about it. I'll do whatever to, I can. Yeah, take the time to watch Refuge and then share about it. Whatever okay. is in your heart to share. And, and that will that. be plenty. So I will do that. So uh, last question here. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to address that I haven't asked about? That So the floor is yours to talk about whatever you want, even if it's off topic for what we've been discussing. Yeah, well, I just wanted to take time to say how grateful I am for you telling your family's story and, you know, being courageous to really make it very simple for people to understand our our history. And I just wanted to express that, like, I felt really grateful that I was introduced to you and then I even gained even more of that education. So thank you. Thank you. It's been an honor getting to know you. And by the way, just speaking of shout outs, let's go ahead and give David Earl Adams a shout out. I've known David, you're probably going to giggle at this. I've known David probably since he was 14 years old. Wow. (laughs) He and me and his friend, me and his brother are best friends and his brother's a few years older than he is. And I've, I've known Steve, his, his brother since I was 16 or 17. And David was the the knucklehead younger brother who sort of would tag along. And so that's how I got to know David. <laughs> oh, I love hearing that. Yeah, okay. DE and I served together on a leadership team for several years. And he's just such a great teammate. And he's somebody who always saw, I felt like saw me and saw who I really was and what I was capable of and wanted to make sure I was platformed 
and even now just talking about it, it sort of makes me emotional. So right. he's such a great person, DE. So I'm so glad that he and introduced us. DE. <laughs> DE's a great guy. That whole family is great. I, I love that family. I, I love them. And that's not an exaggeration. I yeah. love so that's the end of our conversation today. I want to thank oh. again. I did just want to mention one uh, other thing. Oh, Are you okay. aware that there is a National Juneteenth Museum being built in Fort Worth. I think I heard that in your documentary, or I heard it somewhere. It's, okay, it's not in our documentary, but okay. Miss Opal Lee and Jared Howard, he's the CEO of the museum. So Jared Howard is a direct descendant of the first African-American woman landowner in Fort Worth. And this was back in maybe like 20 years after 1865, like the 1880s. Don't quote me, but like you can verify it. But I mean, I'm like, who is this woman that she figured out as a black woman how to become a landowner after being freed? I mean, it's just incredible. You know, I mean, I have an incredible privilege what the family that I was born into and and purchasing a house felt like a huge leap at 30 years old, you know, and you know, the system is set up to help me, you know, so that this woman did this. I'm just amazed. So Jared is a direct descendant of, of this woman and, and on this historical land, they are building or they're in the process of fundraising so that they can build the national, um, Juneteenth Museum in Fort Worth. So I, I was just thinking, you know, your books should be there and and it's something you should look into and perhaps interview Jared Howard because Oh, absolutely. Um, no question. It's an incredible project that I also feel like I want to be able to support that in any way that I can. So, yeah. Well, hopefully he'll he'll hear this episode and we can connect or I'll reach out to him somehow and have him on here and we can talk about that. That's that's an incredible story. That sounds like a movie. Yes. Yes. There's so many. Yeah. So th- thank you for, for, for making me aware of that. You're welcome. All right. So our guest today has been award-winning documentary producer, Mary Beth Menace, whose latest project, Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom, is available for free on YouTube. I encourage you to watch it with your family during the holiday gatherings this year. Don't You don't need to wait until June. You can watch it this year. As I mentioned in the beginning, new, new births of freedom are timely any time of the year. So I encourage you to watch it with your family. So Mary Beth, thank you for joining us today to share your story. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. All of the films and music referenced in this podcast can be found at www.marybethmenace.com. That's www.marybethmenace.com. You can find links to watch Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom on the PBS app or on YouTube. You can also find links to watch the Refuge documentary there. In addition, there are links to listen to the Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom soundtrack on her website. Well, that's it for this week's storytelling journey. Don't forget to join us again next week to hear another great storyteller. Until then, don't forget to shine some light wherever you go. Oh, freedom.
that was another edition of Real Life and Other Fantasies with your host, Melvin E. Edwards. Join us again next time for more stories about more things than you can imagine. Some of those true stories may even be about real life. See you next time.